On tonight's program, ladies and gentlemen, we have something that's going to make you sick. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Four Stars Podcast. I'm your host, Hudson Forster, and today we have Zeno Mueller. And the majority of you guys probably have heard of this man through your, your email, okay? He probably shows up somehow in your inbox. You got no idea how he, hear, how he hears about you or, her, or knows who you are, but he somehow finds your email. He knows how, how to get these kids to you know know about what he does. And uh, we're going to talk about kind of his whole program and kind of how he runs and where he's from and his accent and kind of where is this Swiss American kind of get got into the sport of rowing. Uh, there's so much to talk about. He's helped so many athletes with their, their erg times as, as college recruitment. Uh, one of the, one of the largest things we talked with Steve Gladstone is, you know, the erg definitely shows a side of the athlete and what they can do. And, you know, that's almost like, as Zeno says, the SAT or ACT of, of your uh, athletic college, college uh, acceptance in a sense. So Zeno, thank you for hopping on the podcast. There's been a lot of people that have reached out to me saying we got to get Zeno on here. We got to hear his story and whatnot. So thank you for taking the time out of your day to talk to me. And uh, yeah, thank you. Woo-hoo! I'm <laughs> glad to be here. And I was excited to get your phone call because we need stuff like this for rowing. People making podcasts and talking about it and hyping rowing, which is such a great sport. For sure. So I'm glad to be here. It makes me happy that you're able to hop on because, uh, you know, you are you're our father. You got kids. You got stuff going on. You're not like these, you know, average uh, college students, you know, that just got the average, you know, their schoolwork to do. And then they got the sports. But, you know, you got a whole family that you're trying to keep afloat. So it's a lot different than, than you know, than a kid. So uh, just, you know, about your life, kind of how you got started in the sport. You know, I, I mentioned that you're from Switzerland. Uh, your accent, you know, you're from Switzerland. You did row at Brown. You, got, you were recruited by Steve Gladstone. Uh, it's kind of ironic that I had a podcast with him a couple weeks ago, and then I'm, now I'm talking to you. Uh, I'd love to kind of hear your personal narrative and what that was for you. Okay. My dad moved us to France. I spent 10 years in France before I graduated from high school. That's where I learned to row. I was 13. I was really lucky that the first coach that I had was a Frenchman who was coaching Anne Martin, who won the silver medal in the women's single skull in 1988. So the first silver medal that I held in my hand in France was from Anne Martin. And Anne Martin uh, was the first silver medalist in women's single skull rowing because that's when it started. I I was lucky enough that I had uh, citizenship in Switzerland. So instead of rowing for France, um, I went to Switzerland over summers and I was taken in by the Swiss Rowing Federation and they had an ex- excellent rowing coach called Harry Mann. And Harry was a elite coach. He got the um, uh, award of coach of the year from the International Rowing Federation. And he really taught me how to row without being a knuckle-dragging lumberjack. Um, I'd like to say he taught me how to row like a prima ballerina would be dancing, right? Um, so Harry taught me that. 
And while Harry was looking out for me, at my first Junior World Championship, um, I was riding the shuttle bus from the regatta course to the hotel, and someone behind me started talking to me in English, and it was the freshman coach at Brown University. And he said, hey, um, we heard that you were speaking to the crew in English, and you, are you, would you ever consider to row in the United States? And I said, heck, sure. <laughs> I'd love to be a student athlete, because in France, being an athlete is a negative, okay? <laughs> In Europe, being an athlete is a negative. Maybe things have sort of changed a little bit over time, but being an athlete in the United States is a positive. So I'm really excited about talking to, at that time it was Val Thurm, and he said, hey, here's a brochure of Brown University, and um, you know, catch up with us when you can. And in the meantime, I ended up winning the Indoor Rowing World Championship, uh, the Crash Bees. Uh, back then, it was 2,500 meters. Okay, so if I quote you guys, 742.6 it was or something like that. That's over 2,500 meters. Um, it was 132 point, I don't know, some, some scrap. But that put me on the map with all the colleges. And um, I was going to, I was being recruited by Cal, UW, Brown, and Harvard. All the other schools, I had no idea, right? But I ended up picking Brown because Harvard uh, wanted another SAT, and the SATs were pretty foreign to me. Um, Brown said, hey, we'll take him. And then it was an undefeated set of seasons at Brown University huge character building for me to be able to row at Brown. Um, it was great. I mean, it really, this is in a nutshell. And luckily for these coaches that I had, I was able to perform really well on the erg. And certainly on the water, I was good. You know, I mean, by the time I went to Brown, I had the bronze medal at the Junior World Championship in the single skull. And um, I actually already had raced one year uh, as an elite in the single skull at the World Championship. And that's when I started my freshman year at Brown. That's crazy. So you, so you, again, like, like I said, you, you went to indoor crash bees. You absolutely killed it. It was a 2,500. It wasn't even a 2K. And oh. uh, you put yourself on the map. And that's kind of how it got all started for you. So that's, that's one way to do it. I was just, I just talked to Isaiah Harrison. Uh, probably one of the, you know, the rowing prodigies, the, the the Mozart of the rowing world, and I just where talked, is he? Where is he rowing? Uh, so he's uh, he's not rowing in college currently. Uh, so the podcast that I have does 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 he does say that he is interested in in rowing in college. Um, he's still wow. rowing at home. Um, he you know he just won a bronze medal at U twenty threes. Um, so he's uh. He's training right now. He's still doing his CrossFit stuff. He uh, the podcast was over like an hour long. It was it was one of a kind. Um, cool. Can't yeah. wait to listen to it. Is it already up? It'll be up soon. I'll send you it before I release. Right, cool. I'll Perfect. send you it after this. Um, yeah, it was it was awesome. He's a he's a great great athlete, great person. So he definitely yeah. has the great stuff. But yeah, he is uh, he is thinking about doing it in college too. So I'm I'm excited to see that happen. Um, your whole mission with this whole with this whole Zeno Mueller you know coaching program that you have. 
Uh, how did that get started? Why did you want to do this? Why did you want to give back to the rolling community? Why did you want to pay it forward? What did that, what was that message? Like, what was that mission for you? Well, it's, it started out far less glamorous the way you were explaining it. Um, when I was done competing internationally, I lived in the United States. I had three children, a house, mortgage, uh, and I took out a home line of uh, credit and I started an indoor rowing studio, brick and mortar indoor rowing studio here in Costa Mesa. And that was all fun and great. I really enjoyed leading classes and, and rowing, but the, the issue was I couldn't scale it. There were only there was only room for 12 or 13 rowing machines and uh, I couldn't duplicate myself with other people. People really enjoyed having me as their workout leader. And so I couldn't scale the uh, the business, but the the family budget was growing very rapidly. So I had to I always wanted to broadcast the workouts and but that was in 2003, right? Finally, in 2004, YouTube came on the stage. But by that time, we still haven't had the ability to really transfer that much video all at once live. So it took a few years until I was imagining coaching people online in real time. And someone told me, Zeno, it's all great and wonderful that you like to run workouts for people who are not really that competitive, but you're a specialist in making people as fast as possible. And you can charge more than what you're charging people in, in uh, groups, right? And I oh, had okay. to make ends meet. Yeah, tell me. No, no, I was asking you how much were you charging people for those, for those indoor sessions? You know, those indoor sessions were about $15 a session, roughly. But the problem was I only had about 10 or 12 rowing machines in there, right? It's one thing if you live in a tent and you live by yourself and you get that income, oh, it's all good, right? But holy cow, a family costs a lot of money, right? So, so then I realized I've got to switch gears. And luckily... Um, you know, some a friend of mine, Tyler, helped me figure out how to coach people online. And that is how all of this started happening, where I realized the people that are most in need are high school kids who want to get recruited. When these people reach out to you, you know, what are they, what's some of the first things that you guys, you know, talk about? Do you guys have like meetings, of, you know, like kind of like this over Zoom, kind of like setting goals beforehand? You know, I see them row. I watch them row. And what's interesting is I see errors that are ingrained over one, two, three years um, that had they been caught earlier, they would be further ahead with their ERC score. Okay. I need to stay really positive with them because they can improve. I mean, there's no question about it. But instead of pointing out that they're doing this and that wrong, I say, look, th these are opportunities 
You make that change, you're going to have more speed, more capabilities to produce more power per stroke. Um, and instead, you know, instead of looking at it as like, oh my gosh, I spent so many years rowing this way, what am I going to do now? I said, no, no, you can improve and get faster. I often hear what kind of training the kids do. I help them understand how to offset certain training patterns that are very common, uh, not just in the United States. You know, and I don't want to. I don't want to rip on on the coaches. You know, the coaches know what they know from the coaches that coached them, and very few coaches really learn from these top elite coaches. It's just there aren't that many around, right? And so the I. We, we named it the elite coaching family tree. So you, if you have a really good coach, you always wonder who coached that coach. And then you go further back that tree. And I have a friend of mine, Tyler, he made, he made a video of how Steve Gladstone was coached by these different people. And, and Steve worked under Harry Parker, who was this uh, illustrious um, Harvard coach who coached for... Uh, 65 years at Harvard and was extremely successful. And then Harry Parker's coach was some guy called Rusty Callow. I mean, but they were all really successful. And so so that the lineage comes down to me and then whoever I start coaching. So the reason why I'm saying this is the coaches in clubs, they're certainly well-meaning, but how they were taught may not be the most efficient way to teach someone how to approach technique for sure understand psychology mm -hmm. because oftentimes i hear that coaches say you know you have to get mentally tougher but if someone wow. shows up on a daily basis and does all the workouts and suffers and sadly enough has to puke after a few of the workouts I'd like to say these people are tough enough, and the issue is not with how mentally tough they are, but how they're being conditioned and how their training is done. So in, in a perfect world, right, let's say you were brought on as a, as a head coach somewhere at a, at a junior program. Let's say, like, I'm going to bring on a random name. Let's sure. say Nick D'Antoni retired and you became the head coach sure. at, at Newport Aquatic Center, right? Sure. What would you do your first day? How would you set in stone? You know, a kid comes up to you. You know, even even uh, Augie comes up to you. Let's say Augie, right? So Augie is a kid. Uh, he's from Newport Aquatics and a great athlete. He says he comes up to you. And he's like, you know, hey, coach, I I love to I love to run in college. I I I need to know what I can do to actually get there. Uh, I I need your help. You know, like I love rowing for competitive. You know, being a competitive athlete. I love that feeling I get. I want to take it to the next level. I know I can do it, but I know that I'm I'm, I'm going to need some guidance. And again, people do forget. You know, we're all young. We're all young kids. Our brains are not even close to being developed yet. So we need guidance. We need to know what to do, how to do it. And and you can't always do it by yourself. So training plans or whatever it is. So, so like, what, how would you approach that conversation with, with that individual? You know, Hudson, without giving away all my trade secrets, here's the thing. Here's the thing that's really, really important is athletes will train themselves into the ground at motivated athletes they will train until they get sick 
they will suffer and almost, I would like to say, self-loathe themselves to work so hard that a coach who understands what type of people they are dealing with, you have to give them the ability to say, look, too hard will break you down. You have to listen to your body. Here is a training program over the entire month. So there's no surprise 2K. The athlete knows exactly what the entire month looks like and why over the course of seven or eight months, we train a certain way to be able to peak for let's say the national championships or, and this is important, the juniors need to be able to peak on their ERC score to get recruited. And the two can go together. Peaking on the ERC score and peaking for the national championships is close enough so that you have the ERGs ready for applications for college, but also to get people ready for on the water. For me, it goes in as a tandem. If you're ready for the for the water, you're also ready for the ERG for a 2K. I would definitely always say, look, you have the training program right in front of you. That means you see the hard workouts that are coming your way so you can actually anticipate how much you're sleeping, how well, how much you take care of your body. You see a schedule. It's like school. Teachers who do a good job they show the kids what are the exams, how much they are, um, uh, the coefficient, how much they are, are graded. So, so you see the roadmap. And when you have people who want to train themselves into the ground, if you give them a map and you say, look, not every workout is a war to be won. There are days you're going to be good. There are days you're going to be a little bit less good. There are days you're going to excel. And certain times when you keep excelling, you have to worry about not getting sick because sometimes sometimes if your body is getting ready to fight something off, an illness or so, you have a couple really good workouts that you say, wow, I'm so strong. And then the next day you're sick. And this is something that has to be said to people who are super motivated is to listen to their bodies when they're tired and when they're oddly super fit then that's also caution you know and i will always say look rest is as important as working out you cannot get better if you don't take care of your body if you don't rest oh side note some kids take Adderall. Some kids take um, drugs for ADHD. It is very, very important that the coaches at the club level know whether these kids are taking that. Now, I know this may not be something that uh, the kids want to share, right? The issue is that type of medication plus uh, acne medication, really hardcore acne medication, spikes the heart rate. Okay, now, all I can say is this, when the heart rate gets spiked through these different drugs, that affects their performance, their recovery. 
So it's not just, it's not as simple as these club coaches may do where they say, okay, I don't know anyone takes any drugs. We don't even ask, right? But the issue is you may have some athletes that would do a lot better if they were not on these um, uh, these drugs, but they don't even know that because the coach hasn't realized that that is actually a factor in performance. Most kids in this generation, like in Gen Z or whatever you want to call it, I don't even know what it's called, but like in most kids this day and age, they're on some sort of medication for some learning disability or for some mental health issue. Uh, I read a study online that I think it was like over 50 something percent of kids are actually on medication. So more than half of the kids are, are on some sort of on some sort of medicine for for some sort of, uh, you know, health issues. Right. So there is a lot of that of that. And I think that the, the, the student athletes that are, are confident enough and even their parents have a discussion with the coach and being like, hey, this is what's going on in my life, because at the end of the day, they're coaching you, right? They're training you to be at your best self. They're training you to be a top tier athlete, especially in rowing. When you're a competitive athlete, you sign yourself up to be a part of a competitive sport. You know, this 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 sport of rowing, it takes a lot out of you. It's physical, it's it's mental, it's emotional. It's there's a lot of things that go into it, and it can really make or break an individual. There's been people that have, that have dropped the sport, left the sport because they just can't keep up with school, with their personal life. You can't do it. You got to sacrifice something in this sport. Three things I want to say. You can call U.S. Rowing and you can call um, the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency. Anyone can do that. You call and you say, hey, I'm a rower. Uh, I take drug, blah, blah, and drug, blah, blah. What do I have to be worried about? And they will have, they will have the answers that maybe the club coach won't have. Okay? I don't have the answers that these people have. The third one, and this is a really important one, mental health oftentimes coaches who are a little bit hardcore in how they deal with people is because they cannot explain it clearly enough pedagogically enough why they do what they're doing for example a, a good teacher in school if the question arises as to why something is done a teacher can probably very constructively explain why we're why they're doing certain exams and why they're learning it this way and why they are that type of homework, right? Sometimes coaches don't want to can't answer that. And then they say, you know what? Why don't you just do those that workout and shut up? Right? So anyhow, the more a coach knows. The more relaxed yet competitive a team can be. No, I hear what you're saying. I think that the more descriptive detail that you provide to your athletes is going to benefit them in some sort of way. Coaches can just be very short and simple and like, hey, do this workout, you know, do your best on it, go full send. The coach that's telling you why, why this is applicable. I mean, kids in school always ask the teacher, how is this going to help me when I'm 25 years old? out of college am i going to use this out of out of that right. and a lot of the time the teacher's going to say well yeah you'll, you'll, you'll use it imagine you're going to a grocery store and you need to find this no one's going to use that when they're going to the grocery store they're just right. making things but when you ask a teacher hey am, am i going to use this what am i going to use it for and they give you an example it's same thing for right. coaches at the end of the day you're teaching them a sport you're teaching them how to be a better athlete it all yeah. it's all the full circle so my next question for you, Zeno, is, you know, 
balancing school. You were a student athlete at Brown, you know, back back in the day. Uh, you were a student athlete. You know, you worked under Steve Gladstone, one of the greatest rowing coaches of all time. Uh, how did you manage school? How did you manage rowing? And and what did that look like for you and, and you know, your college uh, journey? You know, the beauty about rowing at Brown is that it's in the afternoon. It starts, it started when I was there at 3 p.m. And we were done pretty much at 7 p.m. All right. Uh, at least we were able to sleep enough in the morning. Some colleges, they row in the morning. And it's like, I don't even know how you, how you can function. Yeah, 5 a.m. you probably don't, huh? like, OCC or what? Yeah, like, I mean, e- even like Orange Coast College, you know, they, they start practice at, at, you know, practice starts at 6.30, but you got to be there at 6.15. If you're not there before 6.30, you know, you're late. Right, so right, right. actually, t- take that back. If you're not there before 6.15, you're late. Because right, right. they say that at 6.15, you need to be doing your dynamic stretches. You need to be doing all that stuff like that. And at 6.30, boats are, boats are already on the board. You got to check in before 6.30, already be warmed up. And at 6.30, bam, you get hands on and you go. You know, early, but that's that's even late. I mean, I know programs that start at six six a.m. in the morning. Oh, now you're having to get up at at five a.m. even four wow. forty five, get to the boathouse. Sometimes it takes athletes twenty five minutes to get to the boathouse. I'm in awe of the people's passion. Okay, I never had to cross that that bridge. I'm I feel passionate about rowing. Maybe at that age, I would have probably done it, but now in hindsight, I'm thinking, oh, I was really lucky, right? Look, if you can train in the afternoon and you sleep enough, chances are you can keep up with school. Even if you did an, a little workout unit in the morning of about 45 minutes on an erg, uh, maybe in your dorm, that, that works probably as well. There are three things that you can do. School, train. And then the last one is probably, I don't know, maybe have a girlfriend, okay? But only do three things. <laughs> if you throw another thing into the mix, yeah. you're, you can forget it. You, For sure. you spread yourself thin. And Steve Gladstone said to me, you burn the candle at both ends, you know. Don't do it. <laughs> and yeah. so you have to prioritize. I want to know like an example of an athlete that you've had that came to you with an erg score or something like that. And I'd like to you to tell me the kind of the progression that went on with that uh, and what they were able like before and after kind of thing. I'd also like to know, I know to echo your statement about how in your, in Europe, I talked to the Hungarian junior national team and they were telling me that in, in Europe, it's like you're either an athlete or you're a student. There's not really that student athlete right. kind of environment where, you know, she's now at, at Miami. I had a podcast will be coming out before this. And she yeah. was like, America is really the only only place that you can actually be a student athlete. You can actually do that. You can actually be, you can actually do your studies and then actually manage yeah. to be an athlete. So yeah. it's, 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 that's why we see a lot of these international uh, athletes come over to the U.S. because they just don't have that accessibility at their home country. So, well, and there's no, well, there is no collegiate rowing. Right, this right, right. Only Brooks, Brooks and a couple others. It's England and, and yeah. the United States. There's collegiate rowing. I mean, really the United States. And that's what's so exciting for us European immigrants. Yeah, for is sure. That this is a huge playground in the United States. But also, but here's the thing about recruiting. You have these kids who start pretty young at age 13. And then they row all their lives and the winters are not as harsh. 
in certain most countries in in Europe, you don't have as harsh of a winter as in the Northeast. So you have people who row year around, and those are those are rowers that are direct competition with U.S. rowers. So as if the field becomes more international, and if you look at varsity uh, rosters, you start seeing foreign countries. Almost half the people are foreign in one of the top uh, top crews in the United States. So you realize that somehow, maybe their coaching in Europe is a little bit more refined. And then in the United States, it's not because you have, there should be way more U.S. students in the top boats than uh, foreigners or, or overseas students because you have them right here. The U.S. US has them right here, but it's not the case. So it's, it comes down to coaching as well. Maybe Jacobo's ears are ringing. Okay. I coached a rower. The reason why Jacobo comes to mind is because Jacobo was maybe six feet tall, okay? His starting ERC score was maybe, maybe 650, okay? He's on, he's on my testimonial page, Jacobo. He's on my testimonial page. Holy cow. I think he broke 620 within maybe three months. Three months, you cannot build enough endurance into a person. Let, let's say his technique is perfect. And with perfect technique, he has a 653, right? You cannot physically change 30 seconds. You can't make someone fitter by 30 seconds. You can't, okay? So what I do is it's a technique, and then it's, it's, it's training, physiological training, right? He had, he was so strong and short, and his stroke was... When I looked at the stroke, I said, okay, now, wait a minute, Jacob, you know, if you reach a little bit more, if you hang a little bit longer, if you hold on a little bit longer, again, I'm, I'm trying to be as cryptic as possible right now, right? He blew my mind. And that was amazing. And, 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 and that's why I was really happy that he left me a testimonial on the, on the page. That was really cool. Um, so that's, that's a, a young man. Then there is a young woman, and she is on the testimonial page as well, and um, and she's now at Brown. She was seven, seven fifty, seven fifty six or something like that. I think by the time we finished in two months, she was seven twenty six, seven twenty five. That was amazing too. And these people train by themselves, right? It's like. It's like I'm the only person they interact with. Text them while I'm on the phone. Just say, hey, look, just stay, keep the focus. Make sure you listen to your body, right? And all the stuff that goes with stretching and makes me feel amazingly um, useful. I'm very grateful that I'm able to, to provide that information to rowers who are eager to improve. And when I talk to them, I say, I'm really grateful for their passion because without their passion, they wouldn't look me, look, they wouldn't make me look like I'm 
I'm as good of a, a, a coach I can be. So you know, as as a, and I'm grateful for you, Hudson, for picking up the the slack in in podcasts. I mean, I love, I love that synergy. Oh, speaking of synergy, so there's some coaches. You're a collegiate coach, and the academic standard is really tough to get admitted to the school where you're coaching. Chances are that these young individuals that you get into your team are probably smarter with a higher IQ than the coaches. You can go <laughs> two ways about this. That's two crazy. Ways. Okay. okay. Yeah. One is you, you, you're going to push them down and make sure that you're the boss. And this is how we train and this. And you don't use the synergy available. I, I must be different because I know that the people I coach, they probably have a higher IQ than I have. Okay. Better grades in school like ever. And I say to them, look, if there's something that you feel when you hear me coach, and if it's not clear, let me know. Let me know how you understand what is going on so that you can make me a better coach, okay? Soak up that mental energy, that that willingness to, to learn and teach, and that brings everything together, and, and the trust is being built. That that's i mean that gives me goosebumps explaining it this way because how awesome is it that you have this new crop of rowers that comes in that are level with you or even more and you have to let them and of course feel confident enough as a coach to say look these are great ideas but we have to stay on this path a little bit longer until we can go in those directions that you guys are thinking of. Could be any myriad of things. But if you allow the rowers to be empowered, they gain confidence. And it's amazing what can happen. Your reaction of your family when you were born at Brown. Oh, my dad worked for a U.S. company that was founded here in Orange County. And so it's a coincidence, a coinkadink that I actually am here in the, in the same county where his company that he worked for was founded. For Swiss people, even though we already we, we already lived in a foreign country, we had moved around probably five times prior to that. Being in a foreign country was already natural, right? My parents didn't, didn't say, oh, don't go. You know, go. My dad was probably quietly maybe missing me, and I feel horrible now thinking about it, even though it's been 30 years since he passed away. He passed away when I was 20 years old. And Sorry about that. That must be tough. It, yeah, it's it's hard, right? And, and then you start thinking, oh, you know. But they were not, they were not slowing me down in applying to Brown. And my dad was really, really, really proud when I won the Indoor Rowing World Championship uh, and when he picked me up in France at the, the, the Charles de Gaulle Airport, he was super proud, you know? Yeah. And and I think 
you know, in a way he saw something that was happening to me that maybe he himself would have enjoyed doing and he can actually was able to live it through me, you know? So, so yeah. my parents were okay with me going to Brown. I, I was really, I was really willing to update them with how things were going. The first thing I bought back then was ridiculously expensive. It was a fax machine. So we were writing each other faxes because a fax was a lot cheaper than a phone conversation. When was the last time you went to Brown to like visit the school or visit the team or whatnot? This is almost criminal. <laughs> last time you were there, you graduated. Just have to think about it. He hasn't been there in a long time. I want to go this May to Brown because the 1993 crew is meeting up. This May, I will go. And that'll be 30 bloody years. And and if 30 years seems like a lot, a lot happens in 30 years. But it time doesn't stop, Okay. Holy shit, now I'm 30 years older than I was when I when I was winning the Eastern Sprints and the NCAA and then the IRA and and we ended up winning uh, the ladies plate at the Henley Royal Regatta. Wow, that's crazy. So, it's really been a long time. I mean, I haven't been I have not even been alive for 30 years. Uh, I'm 19, so that's crazy that's I mean, okay. to think about. You're, you're going you're our future, Hudson. Hey, I'm trying. I'm trying. Uh, you know, Overall conversation, you talked about the coxswain role and how vital it is to a team. Um, I'd like to kind of talk about that as one of my last questions I have, and then we'll kind of talk about how they can find you and whatnot on your social media or however. Okay, Hudson. Yeah. The more a coach knows, the more he values coxswains. The less a coach knows, the more the coach uses the coxswains to line up the teams and make sure that they hold the stroke grip. And that's, and that's pretty much what they tell them. The more a coach knows, the more communication between the coxswain exists. Was the boat listing, were people burying their catches at the right time? Who was washing out? Who was saying what? What was the check like? Was, were people paying attention to your commands? Constant flow. Between coaches and coxswains, there has to be a constant flow. If there is not, maybe the coach is spread too thin or doesn't know what to do with a coxswain. But for me, the coxswain has the most amazing seat in rowing if if a coach could be the jockey then the coach would be riding the the racehorse you as a coxswain you ride the racehorse you're in charge of what is it two thousand pounds of a, you sit on an arrow that's two thousand pounds right is it like okay a, a big crew right let's say a big crew um yeah, it, yeah. A big crew would be almost 2,000 pounds, let alone once it's at speed, how much more power that has. Yeah. I mean, how amazing is it to cock stat? It's so you can feel, you can feel when they start setting the blades at the right time. 
holding the finishes nice and buried, right? Mm-hmm. And you feel the surge and the very smooth pickup um, at the catch. This is something that the coaches, if the coaches don't realize how lucky the coxswains are, then they're maybe not fully understanding how huge the communication with a coxswain could be. You are, you are the brain of the team. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, you can have each individual oarsman, our brains too, but it has to come together. You synthesize as a coxswain, you synthesize it. And then the smarter you are as a coxswain, the more you can communicate with the coach. And the coach has to be really receptive in understanding how to handle all that information. There are coaches who probably are going to say, okay, yeah, no, no, it was a great throw. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> you know, so anyhow, there you go. <laughs> Got it. And my coach, he valued me so much that he was willing to contact other teams at Regattas to see if they needed to fill in for them because he wanted me to He wanted me to be there. He'd tell me all the time, yeah. we'd be in the lunch, and he'd be like, I just wish I had eight people that had your mindset and that your, your, your internal yeah. – gust of, of energy and, and wanting to be the best that you could be in front of me right now and put you in an eight and just go full send and just go as hard as they can. I wish I could give that to you. I wish I had 10 more of this individual on my team. I wish I had this so that way I could give it to you and provide you something because I feel like I'm not able to give you what you need. And it almost was like, I feel, I feel to, to this day, like he wanted me to succeed so badly that he was willing to do whatever it, it took for me to get there. And even though he didn't have the, the facilities to do so, he trained me so much and he spent time talking to me all the time on the launch. Like we talked for the majority of the time we were out there just about random things. And he would, he'd just random time. He'd just like, all right, look, what would you do right there? He would just like random time. He would just ask me these random questions and it would kind of like, it would caught me, you know, catch, I can't even talk right now. It would catch me off guard because I'd be like, I'm like, what do you mean coach? Like, I mean, of course I would do this. And like, yep, that's exactly what I was thinking. So we feed off one another. We know exactly what we're thinking. And there'd be times where I had to learn from him. And he'd have to, you know, set me in a stone and be like, hey, you know, this isn't what you're supposed to do. Learn from yeah. this. Don't say sorry, but just change it. Yeah, yeah. And so I learned that too. And, you know, I feel like to this day, like I learned so much from that man. And, you know, he was a really important person in my life. It really remind us, of what's his name? So he's actually his name is Jacob Cowart, or everyone knows him as Jake Cowart. He uh he was a one of the fastest rowers in the United States back in like 2012. He was on the junior national team. Uh, he got recruited to to Yale, Harvard, uh, Cal. Uh, he ended up going to Cal his freshman year. Um, was stroking the varsity eight his freshman year at Cal. Uh, he's he was the lightest on his team. It was like six three one seventy. Uh, but just one of the best single scorers in America. Yeah, he uh, he's definitely a, a fantastic individual, and he knows so much about the sport. And uh, when I told him I was interviewing, you know, Steve Gladstone and all these individuals, he'd be like, I have no idea how you're getting in contact with these people, but good job. I'm so proud of you, and I just want to let you know you're doing a great thing. So that's what but I... See, this is what he saw in you, and now you keep going, even though you're not sitting in a boat coxing. Yeah. The reach, the reach that you have with your podcast but if people are willing to learn, you're reaching them. You're reaching more than just eight people in a boat right now. You really are reaching thousands. So congratulations to you, Hudson. 
I appreciate that so much. I mean, my ability to, to cost in college still is still at the table. You know, I'm still sure. able to do it. Uh, so I'm excited about it next year. Uh, but for right now, I'm this podcast is, is yeah. I never thought that this podcast would be like this. I just thought I'd be talking to some of my friends at home and or just random people I met at ID camps and I, I have talked yeah. with them and whatnot. But people are reaching out to me, coaches. I've had podcasts with coaches now, some of the best coaches in the world. It's just crazy to me. So it's all crazy you how it all the vacuum. There was a massive vacuum. And you know, after after talking to you for the first time. I realized I should reach out to the Swiss Rowing Federation because now over time they've had more medal winners at the Olympics and the World Championship. But when you go on their website, you don't see a roster of people that had won. And now pretty much anyone has a website. You, The Swiss Rowing Federation should have a roster of people that won the medals with their website. And that would give me an opportunity to reach out to people or people finding me in Switzerland to get the coaching, right? Uh, so, so the networking and the creation of a way to communicate like you are doing with me right now can only help the sport of rowing. I just was sick and tired of seeing all my all my basketball friends and football buddies get so much attention on on online, and there was nothing for rowing. I feel like, you know, this sport of rolling is so unique to, to this to this world. And it's, I've literally seen it change people's lives for the best. I've seen people have this terrible, terrible, terrible moments in their life where they just they didn't want to continue anymore. They were just like, I can't do this anymore. Life, I, I feel depressed. I'm not happy. I it, it takes over sometimes. And then they go into rowing, they get the right coaching, and yeah. their whole life changes. And it's like, what the heck? And i fortunate enough to be able to have the ability to talk to you, talk to people, yeah all around the world that love the sport just as much as I do. So it's, it's awesome. Beautiful. Beautiful. And uh, I think that's going to sum it up. I mean, where can they find you? How can they reach out to you for coaching and, and just right. want to you again? Here it is. Elite rowing coach.com. You can text me directly. Nine, four, nine, four hundred seventy six thirty. Leaving me a voice message is not as quick as sending me a text. Okay. So that 949-476-30, you get me immediately. All right. So that's how you, that's how you hear from Mr. Mueller. Uh, how do you like people to, to reference you as? Coach Mueller, Coach Zeno, Zeno? Zeno. Zeno. Hello, Zeno. Here's the last thing I'm going to say. Yeah. I'm eye level with anyone I coach. Okay? These are young adults. I, they deserve the respect that they deserve. I mean... I do not coach down. I'm level. Most coaches aren't like that. So you're unique in that regard. And uh, I just want to say uh, thank you for hopping on the Four Stars podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, everybody, this is Zeno Mueller. He was a Swiss American athlete. Uh, he, he wrote at Brown under coach Steve Gladstone, who's the head coach at Yale. Uh, he continues to help out the rowing community and provide them with knowledge and a way for them to further on their rowing career at the collegiate level with giving them tools and, and assets to know how to be better and how to be better individuals as well. So, uh, Zeno, thank you so much for your time. I can't thank you enough. And everyone, take take care of yourself. Never give up. Never change. Just keep being the great people that you are. I'll see you all next next episode. Thank you.